We're coming into the last three chapters of the book of Revelations. Becca, uh, our series has been uh, way back in the fall and up till Thanksgiving and it's picked up again in January and Lord willing, we have three more Sundays uh, in this series. Uh, this will be the fourth and three more after this one. And I just want to thank you for being a part of these services. And uh, uh, for those that have been able to be with us, either online or in person, as we focused on this incredible book, this incredible vision that God gave uh, to John the Revelator and through John to us in the 22 chapters of the pages of the last book of the Bible and the incredible things that it, it says. We've just finished within that series um, last Sunday, a look into the last seven years of human history. Seven years. Go on to that next slide, if you would. Chapters 6 through 19 are basically a seven-year period. If I understand it correctly, and of course, I'm making some generalizations, and I told you I will throughout this book, but generally chapters 6 through 19 refers to a seven-year time period, as best I understand it. And uh, so that's a lot of the book of Revelation right there. But it's describing events during that seven-year time period. That's a lot of detail, a lot of events to cover, a lot of different themes and characters and, and imagery and things for us to, to kind of balance and hold on to. But nevertheless... The last seven years leading up to the Battle of Armageddon, as best we understand it, we've described this as the end times, the last seven years of humanity and politics and military, and yet there's another time period that we'll describe this morning, but basically the last seven years of the world as we know it. We also have seen during these seven years the consequences of man's sin that has set in motion this terrible time of travail on the earth during these seven years and the horrible, the wickedness of the Antichrist and the false prophet and, and the unleashing of, of the demon world on the earth and to some degree a withdrawal of God's spirit from the earth during these seven years. All this has, has uh, played out into this terrible time described in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 through 19. We also have read about God's judgment during this time, that God does tell us that He will bring judgment on those that are unrepentant and those that refuse to bow to the authority of God. And these chapters have told us so many times that both the consequences of man's sinful nature and God's act of judgment have brought about this horrific end to humanity when, he, when man chooses to reject his creator. Our last description last Sunday was the binding of Satan and him being cast into the great abyss. We just briefly talked yesterday that after God brings that judgment and the battle of Armageddon that the last thing to happen after the battle of Armageddon <coughs> is that Satan will be bound. Chapter 20, verse 2 says, He sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore 
until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must set, be set free for a short time. So apparently an angel from heaven came down and dragged, got a hold of, of Satan, wherever he was, troubling the earth. <coughs> it's interesting to me, I may have said last week that, that one angel bound Satan according to this text. That's pretty amazing to me. One angel with a hand of God was able to bind Satan and wrap him up. It just reminds me that God's been in charge all along. There's a lot of things I don't understand about why God has allowed this. I do not understand. I do not have, for me, as a satisfying answer to the question of why God's allowed Satan. But I know that God has the power over Satan. And the binding of Satan here by an angel who took him and cast him down to the abyss is a description of the, the power of God for a thousand years. In chapter 20, we have three events that are explained. The first one is, of course, the thousand-year period, the millennium. Um, a term that's not in the Bible, millennium, in our translation, but it means a thousand years. And so this chapter um, picks up this idea of this time period of a thousand years. It's described with two other events that we'll look at briefly today. The millennium is a unique time in human history, unlike any other time in human history. Human history, I believe, can kind of be divided, it can be divided in many ways. And different people who, of course, look at human history have their, their ways that they organize cultures and people. But I just want to suggest a fourfold description of the time of human history. First of all, Adam. When Adam was created in the image of God, Adam and Eve. Between the time of Adam and the flood, if you count up and add up the generations from Adam to the flood, I think you come to about 1,656 years. Very close to that, depending on a couple translations. But So you think of a time period of human history, from the creation of Adam to the flood, if indeed... The stories in Genesis are a, 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 a intended to give us the number of years uh, as they seem to be. 1,656 years. And then you look at another time period. Again, I'm, I'm uh, just kind of randomly choosing these periods. But in order to illustrate time, then from the flood to Jesus. So first from Adam to the flood and flood to Jesus, you have 2,518 years. That's a long time. Noah came out of the ark and they began to repopulate the world and there was the Tower of Babel and after another 300 years or so, Abraham was born. And then you have the history of Abraham and God's people and Moses and the kings and all the Old Testament. All that takes place in about a 2,500 year time period. And then after Christ came, he died on the cross to save us from our sins and make the book of Revelations possible. And then he ascended into heaven. And then you have a time period that, that I call the church. We live today in the time period of the church. Whatever term you want to use. Some people call it the day of the Holy Spirit because he's in and with us. It's the day of evangelism. There's different titles that people have used to describe, but I just call it the time of the church. It's been about 2,000 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. How many more years is a question mark. Whether it be one year, or ten years, or a thousand years, I don't know. 
I've said so many times that everything that I read in the book of Revelation in the Bible is pointing toward us being at the end of this time period. I don't know when it is, but I know it will happen on a day when God has chosen. And all these events that we've read about in Revelation will begin to be unfolded, beginning with chapter 6 and all that we have. 2,000 years or so. The next time period will be at this point in Revelation chapter 20 called the millennium. Thousand years. This will be another time epoch or time, uh, depending how you separate the years. But I've done it in these four about about approximately 6,000 years since Adam. Again, I didn't add up exactly, but about 6,000 years since, according to Genesis, that Adam was created uh, until the end of this time period of the millennium. 1656, 2518, 2000, 1000. I don't know how long that third line is going to be, but it could be any day. And you look at compared to the other, what I'm calling the major time periods of of God's revelation, uh, it could happen any time. I say all that to say that that the millennium and these seven years could happen any moment. The millennium, of course, is the description, the word used, the Latin word you use, to describe 1,000 years. And there's two other events that are recorded in this chapter that I'm going to now read. Chapter 20 of Revelation. If you follow along... I'm going to read from chapter 20, verse 1, through the end of the chapter, verse 15. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the keys to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him, to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and and, uh, that that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There obviously is in this chapter a great deal of things that we know about this time period. We know the amount of time. We know who will be there. We know some details about uh, the existence of what happens during this thousand year time period. There are a lot of things that we know about this time. When we think about the time, the scripture that comes to me right away is the significance of a thousand years. That term is found in several places in the Bible. As we've talked about the significance of seven, especially in the book of Revelation, but throughout the Bible. Most, I'll say, but not all theologians see this as a literal time period. And they believe it's literally 1,000 years. Again, not everybody that has studied this has come to that conclusion. And I've said from the beginning of the book of Revelation that I'm presenting what I think is a most likely uh, reading and telling and understanding of this. But I do understand that there might be people out there that have a different idea on some of these things, especially that we don't have all the specific details about. This looks to me to be 1,000 literal years. But I'm also thinking about um, uh, uh, the words of the scriptures that say that a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. A day is as a thousand years. And so as time comes to an end, our perceptions of time and how long something feels is coming to an end. At the end of this story of the millennium, time will be no more. As best I can understand it, there's no more references to time in the, in the remaining two and a half chapters of the book of Revelation. Time will be finished. Time had a purpose. It came with the revelation of God when he made man in his own image. And so even as we think about this time period, there's some uncertainties about that 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 uh, uh, not sure about time from now on after this thousand year reference i believe will be immeasurable immeasurable after this event in other words the last description of time is here but from now on there is no reference relative to what happened in the past and what will happen in the future there are many things about the millennium that we know but there's also many things about the millennium that we really don't know. And we fill in the details and different people think about and look at and think may well be. There's a lot of mysteries about the details um, and a lot of things that we can look at. But what do we know for sure about the millennium? Number one, it's called the first resurrection. When the millennium starts, John records that it's the first of two major resurrections look at verse 4 and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God they had not worshipped the beast or the image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So apparently there's the coming back to life in two different 
major events. One recorded at the beginning of the millennium and one recorded at the end of the millennium. These who live in this time period of the millennium, which are people, I believe, that came from the end times, from those seven years, the believers that survived the, the, the martyrdom of Armageddon and those events, plus those that had been martyred during that time, that in this case, we're told God brings back to life for the thousand years. I believe the only ones that will be left on the earth at that time are those that have been resurrected from the dead or are martyred, and those that were left over and not killed at the end of Armageddon, which we know was at least 144,000 people, because we're told they would, not, they would not suffer martyrdom, and we haven't read anything different about them. So at the end of Armageddon, who's left? Those that have survived the, uh, the, that time of persecution, the 144,000, and there could be many others too who survived it. But then God adds to that number those that have been martyred during that seven-year period. And that's who is on the earth during the next thousand years, the believers. As far as I know, although we don't really have any details, I don't know what happens in that thousand years as far as people living and dying. I don't think there's any indication. So I'm really not sure of whether people will die during the millennium or not. Most people think not. But you have the martyred saints um, that have been uh, brought back to life by God. And this scripture says uh, God particularly is paying attention to those that were killed during this seven-year period, and it brings them back to life. And then you also have the possibility of new converts during this time period. I mean, the only other people that I can see from this scripture that makes sense is children that are born during this time. And of course, a thousand years is a long time to repopulate the earth, as we know how quickly that can happen. So it looks to me like you have the 144,000. Maybe if anyone survived that persecution, and then those that were martyred are brought back to life. And then you have if children are born during that time. Again, that's a little speculative. That's the only group I can think of that can be added to this and fit what we read about the millennium in this place. Children that repopulate the earth. Because at the end of the millennium, when Satan is allowed out, he goes to deceive the people of the earth. And I'm thinking, who can he deceive? Can he deceive the 144,000? There must be somebody who is in still that place of decision-making and free will. And free will will not be closed out until the end of the millennium. So there will be some uh, that Satan will be able to try to deceive at the end. Remember, all the believers, if, if we're right about the rapture and how we understand the timing, were already taken in the rapture before the seven-year period. So there were no believers left at that time. But there were people that became believers through the, the witnesses and through the 144,000 and through the three angels that were preaching the gospel and calling people to repent. And so you have the end time converts and 144,000 and the martyred saints. We also know about this time that there will be a time of peace. Again, we don't have a lot about a thousand. Man, a thousand years is pretty well condensed about one and a half verses of actual description. So... 
What do we believe about the millennium comes a lot probably from how we already view other things theologically and the idea of the reigning of Christ. The, the two things about it is Christ will somehow be here on the earth and with Him will be the saints that have been martyred and they will, uh, they will reign with Christ. Maybe it's better just to leave it at that. They will reign with Christ because we really don't know what that means. At least I don't. I speculate about and I always have an idea but they will be somehow given authority by Christ those that have been martyred for their faith during this seven year period for this thousand years so you wonder well what is that about and and why well we understand from what we do see that this will be a time of peace it will be a peaceful time um, in between the horrible judgments of Armageddon and then the final judgments at the end of the chapter. It will be a time of peace. I also think, this is a little bit more of my speculation, but this will be a time of healing. A time of healing. I know when Jesus brings back, God brings back to life the souls that are martyred, I have to believe with some of the other scriptures in the book of Revelation that somehow God is going to make it right for those that have suffered for their faith. That's what it seems like to me, that God somehow takes into His uh, perfect mind and His understanding all the suffering that's happened in the world and somehow He's going to make up for it. And He does part of that while time still exists. And that's interesting to me, that He does part of this while time still exists in those that have been martyred during this time. Reminds me of how horrible this, this time of the seven years is and what people who choose Christ, who will always have a choice, but they will choose Christ, what they will endure, and how at that moment at Armageddon that, uh, that, that uh, Jesus will come back and it will be a time of peace and a time of healing for those that are still there. You might say He's already beginning to make all things new again. Maybe for those that were martyred for their faith and suffered for their faith, God kind of starts early on making all things new, because the next chapter we're going to read the fullness of the newness that God brings to man's humanity in the history of the world. But here, God seems to step um, outside of time, and He particularly brings these back to life who have been martyred for their faith, and He gives them a thousand years of peace and healing. Like I said, a thousand years to, to the Lord is like a day, but to people it's a thousand years. So there's somehow a, a beauty and a wonder to me of this thousand-year period of God's hand of peace. And again, I don't think we have enough details to know whether people are dying during this time or not. That's Different people have different thoughts about this, but uh, I know that it is a time of peacefulness and a time of healing that God has allowed. Some see it. I read this one description of God pausing, hitting the pause button on human history. After Armageddon, it's like God steps back and says, oh, Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm just going to... We're going to stop for a minute here. Let, let mankind get its breath. That's total speculation. But He pauses the judgment. For whatever reason, He paused the judgment of Satan. And I don't understand that. I, have, I really have no good answer. Why? Did he put him in the abyss for a thousand years and let him out? I don't understand that. But I know that he, he pauses the judgment for a thousand years. That's just, 
something to me to think about. Why would he pause the judgment? Why, why would he not just go straight to chapter 22? I, I don't know, but there's some things I think to think about that. He's beginning to make all things new for those who have endured their faith. He's saying, I see what's happened to humanity. And I'm moving toward the plan. I've wondered, is he giving anyone another chance? That seems possible to me. Again, this is speculative. Some theologians believe that it's during this time that God gives a chance to everyone who's lived to repent. Wherever they're at, if they're in Hades, meaning that they're in the place of death. I've always believed and said that once you die, your, your, your fate is sealed. But I also know that there's a thought about this thousand years out there that, that says that maybe this is the time that God pauses and He gives everybody one more chance. And then at the end, of course, when you read about the judgment of those who have not responded to Him and what happens at that time. Here in John's vision, he sees the beginning God does of restoration, rebuilding. Apparently, there's a rebuilding of the earth. I mean, I'm thinking it has to be, you know, all the damage has been done by the earthquakes and all the, the seven bowls and, and the final battle and all those things. But he's allowed during these thousand years to, to do some type of renewing of the earth. In some ways, this thousand-year period is like a precursor to the new heaven and the new earth, a preview for a thousand years of what's going to come after final judgment before eternity begins. And then there is that mystery in, in my heart and mind of the release of Satan. Last week, we read of how Satan was bound up. And then verse 7, this week we read, When a thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sands on the seashore. This to me is a mystery in chapter 20. It seems from this text that Satan will be able to go out and deceive a lot of people again as he did before. I don't know how long he will have to do that. But because it says immeasurable or sand on the seashore, it sounds like there's a lot of people that will be deceived during the end of this thousand years. Again, you have 144,000. You have the saints who are brought back from the dead. And you have uh, those that would have become converts during this time. So apparently there were both those that became believers during the thousand year reign or specifically rejected Christ. And they are being, uh, uh, to some degree, deceived by Satan when he's released out of this pit or this abyss. This is Satan's final day. I want you to think about this text as Satan's final day of existence. He'll be released. Scripture says he goes out to the four corners of the earth. Somehow he sweeps the earth. You might say for his final act of trying to convince humanity to turn against God. I don't think it's very long. It doesn't seem from the... Con at least it's in, in just a, a few words anyway. 
But he tries to deceive, and what I think happens is it doesn't work. Before it worked. It could be that the people did not give in to him, yet there's the question of who this innumerable group of people are. But whatever the case, God sends fire down from heaven. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Whoever it was who rebelled against God during this time period, they're immediately, they're immediately judged. And then Satan is cast into the lake of burning sulfur. The lake of fire. Uh, that place that seems far away and unimaginable to, to many of us. But there Satan will be forever and ever, it says. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And then you have the judgment of the dead. Also in chapter 20. The great white throne. Then I saw a great white throne and Him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from His presence and there was no place for them. Final judgment for all of humanity. The eternal destiny has been sealed. It has been decided. But here will come the pronouncement and the carrying out of God's final judgment. It's interesting to me that the place of judgment is somewhat unknown. It says between heaven and earth. At least it says the earth and the heavens fled from His presence. And I've tried to read what, you know, what could that be? What does that mean? But somehow the place of judgment, it would seem like, doesn't take place on the earth. And it doesn't take place in heaven. But in some other sphere, some other place of maybe to us unknown knowledge about who God is, the judgment of humanity will take place. The dead from all of humanity will be raised from all of human history. Some think it will be only the unrepentant at this point because they believe that all, uh, they think that all the believers have already been raised. Then the books will be opened, we're told. The books. I notice specifically the word here is plural. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened. So it's not just one book that is referred to the judgment of mankind. And I read a list of what one commentator says are the books of God's judgment it has to do with our attitude, our thoughts, our actions. But there are, there's more than one record kept by God of our lives. One of the records and the most important record is the book of life. That's whether or not we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the basis on which we will either spend eternity with God or outside of God's presence. The book of life. It's precious. It's to be honored. It's to be cherished. He opened the book and the books of life. I believe in this judgment, all of our lives will come before us. For those that are resurrected from the dead, for the unrepentant, they will see their lives. I think of it this way. And again, this is some speculation. And I believe those that are believers will also see their lives at this time too. 
God will judge us according, it says three times here, according to the, our deeds in this life, whether we do good or evil. So God does care about our works. He cares about our actions. But that's not what determines whether we go to heaven or hell. Whether we go to heaven or hell is determined by whether our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Whether we have in our lives asked Jesus to come into our heart and to forgive us for our, from our sins. Verse 15 says, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. It doesn't say anyone who had done evil or had, uh, had works that were unclean. There's another reference that helps us to understand that again. But the final moment of human history are those whose names are not found in the book of life and they will be cast into the lake of fire. Our manual calls it the finally impenitent, which is kind of a wordy way, of course, to say it. And it makes me think, every person has had a chance. I believe that. Not sure I really can really describe it or back that up in every... Because some of these things have different principles and different things to weigh about how you interpret, but... I believe every person has a choice. I know every person here today has a choice. I know that because you're here. God has, by His provenient grace, allowed you to be here today and hear the story of Revelation chapter 20. Nobody that's here today, I know, can ever say at this point, moment in human history I never knew what Jesus did for me and so I would say however you view these events of the book of Revelation there's going to be a variety if there's a 110 people here there'd probably be a hundred different ways to explain it but I do want to say to you that every one of you have to make a choice about whether you believe that Jesus died for your sins and He will redeem humanity where you go it alone to that day of judgment. Then what, what will you say? I was good enough? My good deeds outdid my bad deeds. Remember the last verse about humanity is this one. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What a sobering reminder, really, of God's grace, anyone. Because if you want to be connected to God's Spirit, you just confess your sins, profess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you will be saved, the Scriptures say. I want to invite you in this last moment of this service you're here today and you have not taken that step I want to invite you to pray right now and ask Jesus to come into your heart we heard five people earlier today talk about that moment in their life when they asked Jesus into their heart so important that you have that moment in your life so important that you take that step 
I want to invite you to do that today. Would you stand with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gospel that that angel flew across the sky. We read about a couple of chapters ago proclaiming the truth of the gospel to the world. I'm thankful, Lord, that in the last seven years there'll be 144,000 witnesses preaching about Jesus. There'll be two witnesses that live through about half the time who will be preaching from Jerusalem about the truth of the Messiah. God, you give every person an opportunity. And I know in this life, in the day of the church, you give everybody an opportunity to respond to you. But we have free will and free choice. (coughs) I pray today that every person here knows that they have been saved by the grace of God through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. And if they haven't made that decision yet, that right now they will pray, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I want to be a Christian. I want to be safe in the arms of God. I pray that each person would make that choice today. In Jesus' name, amen. And I believe as sure as that last scripture, verse 25, I'm sorry, verse 15, It says those that whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. The next verse is God makes a new heaven and a new earth. It is immediate after the moment of judgment. Chapter 21 is immediate next. I'm looking forward to turning to there next week, looking at the new heaven and the new earth that God makes. Thank you for being here today. God bless.